Well, it's Christmas. Advent, anyway, as we approach Christmas. This is that season, and I'd like for you this morning, if you have your scriptures with you, uh, your Bible with you, in some cases they're available there in the pews, we'll turn to Titus, a very small book with the T's. I don't know if that's how you find this book in the Bible, but I remember all the T's are stuck together. Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. And the titles seem to get shorter the longer you go through. That's how I find it anyway. Titus. It's just about a page and a half. Three quick chapters. Uh, But in this letter, we're brought back to the truth of Christmas and the effect that it can have in any heart. Titus, the second chapter, beginning with verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. The word there is actually epiphanied. The grace of God, that's part of this season, isn't it? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem from every redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous, zealous for good deeds. Amen. That is the message of Christmas and its effect, I hope you noticed there, was it would make us zealous for gracious, good, beautiful deeds as well. And that brings me to uh, kind of our focus for the morning. How can we make Christmas, especially this celebration of Christmas, about that real hope and not just about the hype. Now, let me say as a disclaimer right up front that you can't sit in this sanctuary and, and, and not like to celebrate. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not a humbug series about the fact that we should be less festive or less celebrative of uh, the Christmas season. I think just the opposite. Uh, I, I think even more. I think heaven's going to show us a lot about what it means uh, to have fiesta than even our Latin friends have taught us. Uh, heaven is going to be an incredible celebration. Uh, I'm not putting that down. If, if, you're, if you're like, uh, was it the Greenwalds? I don't know what those people, in, in Home for Christmas, you know, that try to light up their house. What, Griswolds, Griswolds, the Griswolds. As you can tell, that was not in the notes. Uh, the, the, you know, if you're trying to outlight your neighbor or something like that, I have nothing uh, against those, those kind of competitions. It's all part of the celebration of the season. But what, what I'm concerned about is when the hype is just hollow. What's the hype? I, I think it becomes just hype when it doesn't point to something more than it is. I think the hype is usually temporary. It's somehow something that just comes and goes with the season. If all of your Christmas ends up in a dumpster, the wrappings, the scraps of food, if it all just goes back in the box, we're missing that which can really make it a full experience. It becomes hollow. It's something as if it never happened. There's no lasting importance to it. And in fact, in some cases, it's even imaginary. It's, it's trendy. I like the Frosty the Snowman story. 
but it's imaginary. It's not real. It's tinsel. It can become artificial in something that's just for show. It's celebration with no heart in it. It's almost as if, as if it's trying to feel a, fill a void, you know, with all the muzak and the meals and the mistletoe. But in the manger, it's empty. There's no master. It's an inauguration, but there's no king. Hollow hype, it's what Christmas becomes when we lose our touch with reliving Christmas today for what it was when God moved and inaugurated all of this chaos. It is something certainly to celebrate, but it's not just about hollow hype. It's about real hope. Let me, let me ask you, is, is there a difference between the conception of love and the conviction of love? Is, is there a difference between being given a token or an expression of love and knowing the experience of being loved? Now, one can be a part of the other, but one absent of the other can become very hollow. John 3.16 does not read this way. God's love is so for this world, it's as if he gave his only begotten son. This isn't just a story. This is history. God has moved. And when God expressed his love to us, it was not in imaginary terms. A famous preacher in Atlanta used to say, Christmas is the time when God walked down the stairway of heaven with a baby in his arms. And the powerful thing about Christmas was this was no expendable creation, not one more of many. This was God's only begotten Son, His only eternal, from the very beginning to the very, there had only been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God gives authentically of Himself. There's, there's no token about this. This is the nature of, of God's good gift to us. And that means that Christmas giving is an authentic giving. And we can do that when we give our gifts to one another. But so often in our giving of our gifts to one another, it can degenerate into not a gift giving, but a gift swapping. You know that dynamic? You do know that dynamic. You know, you know that feeling when someone that you didn't anticipate giving you a Christmas gift gives you a Christmas gift, and you get that, <gasps> thank you, <laughs> response, you know, going on. What, what, what's that about? You know, we, we've almost lost the ability to receive a gift. It's so much in, in our culture and our experience of Christmas today, a gift swapping a gift exchange, and that's great. 
But the first gift of Christmas was a gift that no one could ever repay. It was a priceless gift, the gift of God's only Son. And if in the course of Christmas we, we only feel the economics of a gift swap, but we miss the overwhelming extravagance of that gift, the joy of Christmas, I think, has to somehow uh, be belittled. Be lost. God's gift leads us here. It, it, it was authentic. It was God's eternal son. But not only was it God's gift and it was an authentic gift, it was also a very much needed gift. I love this part. The gift of Christ at Christmas was not icing on the cake. It was the whole thing. It was not something superfluous. It was not just an expression. This was a real response of a God who cared and a God who noticed to each and every one of us in a real world. God gave us Christ because there was nothing we needed more. I love that in Genesis, before God even promises the redemption of Humankind. He promises salvation in Genesis where he says to Adam and Eve as they're leaving the garden that there will come from Eve a seed that will, that will bruise the serpent's head. Even there, as they're exiting the garden of Eden, God is already announcing his plan to save and to pursue each and every one of us. But God doesn't announce even his plan of salvation. Yes, it was formed in an omniscient God's mind, even before the foundations of the world. But in our experience, we knew of a God. Adam knew of a God that first walked with him in the cool of the day and noticed when he hid. And and doesn't our best gift-giving always start there? By caring enough for someone else that we notice? Aren't those the gifts that bless our heart most, the ones that are personalized? The one from a friend or a loved one who happened to notice something of need in your life. And it's not just uh, what was on sale when they walked into Kohl's that afternoon. There's a a notice factor to it. And, And that noticing is a part of that gift of love, isn't it? Aren't those the gifts that bless us most? Those that get that personal? God, God notices in that way. And when he gives us the gift of salvation, he's not just preparing us for heaven. Christ is that resource for every relationship of ours when it ceases to be reciprocal. Christ is that motivation and that inspiration every time in our lives that we, we run out of gas to live as he calls us to live. Where do we look? All we have to do is look at Him. All we have to do is receive from Him and the tanks become full again. He's not just a promise of heaven. He he is a very real resource right here, right now in our own lives. He is that sun behind the clouds even when life is dark and storms are brewing that we by faith know is still there. He's our sustainer. He gets us through from day to day. 
He renews our lives in very, very real ways. But God's good gift was not only a gift and authentic and needed. God's gift was beautiful. Just beautiful. You know, you, you, can, you can give your wife a, a washing machine for, for Christmas. And that might be a needed gift. And that might be a good gift. Right? And if, if you're planning on getting her a washing machine for this year, I, I hope this won't spoil everything for you. But, 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 but you may be surprised by the reaction that she doesn't consider that necessarily a beautiful gift. You know what I mean? There, there's something to this goodness in this particular word that goes so far beyond the goodness of soundness and moral and, and good utility. See, When God so loved the world, He gave a beautiful gift. And that, that word is used here in our Scripture, this word for goodness, that He would... Uh, redeem for himself and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And the word good there in English is so darn vanilla, you know? But, but in the Greek, it's kalon. And in some places in the English, they refuse to translate it as just good. The NIV does that in a very... Uh, um, insightful place. Do, re, do you remember the story in uh, Matthew 26 uh, of the woman who just before Jesus was to go to his cross, overwhelmed by her love for Christ, came to him and broke an alabaster vial of precious, precious ointment and perfume and anointed him with that perfume. And the other disciples said, this is not a good gift. It's not utility. Uh, that perfume could have bought a lot of poor people food. Now, it goes on to say in one of the Gospels that Judas didn't really mean that when he said it. He was just wanting the money to go in his purse because he would often take from the purse and use it on himself. But he had a good moral argument, right? But Jesus corrects the disciples. And he says, no, as long as as there is time, this woman's deed will be told of her. Now, we don't know her name, but we know her deed. Right? This story will be told of her. Listen, he said, because she has done a Kalon thing for me. And in, in some Bibles, it translates that she has done a good thing for me. But I love the NIV. She has done a beautiful thing for me. There's something about the touch of the love of God that goes beyond just the utility of its goodness. It's beautiful. But it's all those things. You've heard the story, I think, that illustrates this, just what it cost God for, for Christmas of, of the, the bridge operator. He worked uh, the bridge, you know, that 
uh, would raise up and, and would lower over a river. And sometimes the tugs and the boats were going through and he'd have to raise the bridge. And at other times, he'd have to put the bridge down for the train to go over the tracks that spanned it. And uh, on rare occasions, the trains were supposed to run in such a way that when the bridge was up, that they would not come barreling through or a catastrophe would happen. But there was some problem on the line that day and, and that particular switching system didn't work properly. And the bridge was up, still up, when uh, the operator there in the booth heard the sound of the train whistle as it was approaching around the mountain. And it took some time for that bridge to come down. The, the, the boat was through, but he was not anticipating a train at this time of day. And he, he yelled for his son, who he had brought to work that day. Six-year-old boy. He, he knew not to play close to the workings of the bridge, but all that incredible mechanical system just as a way of drawing a, a young boy's attention. And he called for him and he called for him, but there was no response until he threw the switch to start closing the bridge, bringing the bridge down for the approaching train. And as he did, he heard his son's cry. The moving of the motion of the bridge had knocked him from the place that he was playing and he had fallen amongst the gears of that great bridge as it came down. And in that moment, the father had an incredibly difficult choice, an anguishing choice. He had to choose either between his son caught in the gears or that whole train of people coming towards the bridge. And the father cried out, forgive me, son. And he pulled the switch. And hundreds of lives were saved that day. But most of them never even knew to give thanks. Didn't even know they were recipients of such a gift. That's a beautiful story. It illustrates the heart of our God so clearly. The sacrifice of the Son, so clearly. The salvation of the many who don't even respond and some who give thanks, so clearly. But that's just a story. God's heart for you gave His Son. What an incredible sacrifice. Was it necessary? Absolutely. Was it authentic? Did it cost God? You better believe it. But has love ever been more beautiful than when it came in Christ and when it bore even a cross for those that it loved? Beautiful. And so real hope, maybe, has all those things about it. It's God's gift to us. It's authentic. It's needed. It's beautiful. And this Christmas, I wonder if you'd join me in a, in a way to make this real hope, not hype. Uh, this, this year, in, as a way of king-sizing Christmas, I want to challenge us to a shared idea. Uh, something... Uh, 
that the staff has kind of thought of called uh, Christmas blankets. And if we'll click on to the next one there. There are right now 54 children residing in the circle of care facilities that we heard about just, was that last weekend? Boy, that seems farther away than just last weekend. But last weekend we heard about uh, the 11,000 foster care children within the Oklahoma system uh, that are um, needing families and, and homes. And these are 54 that reside in the circle of care facilities that the United Methodist Church offers in Tahlequah and so forth. And I wonder if we couldn't do something for them. You know, to give a gift that we don't get anything back for. To give a gift anonymously. So it's not something that we're doing for show. It's something we're doing, hopefully, that it communicates a message to them. So far as I hope these kids ever know, these were gifts from Jesus. And I'd love to put that on each, each one of those blankets. Jesus came for you. And then customize their name. Christmas 2014. And uh, thanks to Brian Dugdale and his resources, we've even figured out that we can make every one of these blankets and that kid's favorite color. Somebody's noticed. It's, it's personalized. Um, I can see these kids, like many of our confirmands, got some blankets like this a few years back, and I've been told by their parents and even by some of them that that's their favorite blanket. You know, just it's so warm. And they wrap up in it all the time, and they remember their confirmation. Wouldn't it be cool for uh, these kids to have that experience? to wrap themselves in the warmth of that blanket again and again and again, and every now and then maybe just notice the inscription. I think it's beautiful that it's anonymous. So that question gets asked, perhaps in the mind again and again, who? Who? Who, who, who noticed? Who cared? And maybe just like the gift that came to us in that cradle, it takes a while for us to hear all that it says. But you know, we can give gifts and say what they mean. Or we can give gifts that say something. Right? Maybe even without a word. I, I would love for God to use these blankets as a way to wrap kids again and again in that warmth. And, and maybe it's not just a blanket. Maybe it's not just for physical warmth. But for that deep longing in all of our souls to know that we're chosen, that we're special, that we matter deeply to someone. And I can't imagine what, what the absence of that, having grown up in a home where my parents loved me, what, 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 and, and, and uh, didn't have to give me up, uh, in a family that surrounded me with that kind of warmth and love, what it must be like to, to long for that and wonder if you'll ever have that again or if anyone else considers you worthy of, of that kind of gift. And if we look at the message of Christmas, the answer is always a resounding, a resounding yes. So if you'd like, 
There's not a hoopla, a lot of hype to this. If you'd like to buy one of those blankets, they're 30 bucks. That's a pretty good price point. $30 any Sunday during this Christmas time if you want to put a $30 check in the offering and just put Christmas blankets on it. We're going to see that all 54 of those kids get one of those blankets in their customized color with their name on it with that message of Christmas. If you'd like to participate in that, we'd love for you to. Um, if you leave your pastor hanging, I'll take the hit. It's something that's given me joy just thinking about it. And I think you can hear that as I describe it. But what about your ideas? As you sit here and you hear this kind of real hope being described, does that take your mind anywhere? Is there someone in your world that you've noticed that has a real need? How would you give a gift not expecting anything in return that, that would bless them and point them past yourself even to God's love? Real hope. Not hype. Well, what if we infused Christmas with, with these kinds of ideas? In, in the back of the sanctuary this morning is, a, is the first king-size bed of history. Right back there. It's the manger. Uh, get it? King-size bed. The first, right back there, and, and, and it's right under that post, poster, king-size Christmas. And if you have one of those, on the back of your sermon notes this morning, there's a little crown like you'll find back there in cardstock, little yellow cardstock. And we'd like for you to share your ideas. I think it'd be fun throughout Christmas for us to put our ideas of things that we are doing or that we could do just to inspire one another. Especially the creative ones among us, you know. Uh, stretch our minds for the opportunities. And it doesn't have to be one of those ideas that are even up there. I don't know, I'm, I'm a pretty good innovator, but I'm not a guy that just pulls stuff out of the air so well. So I love to read ideas and then innovate on it. Make it something that's the right expression for the situation that I've noticed and the person that I want to bless. But we'd love to see your ideas. So if you want to take some notes as things come to you on your sermon notes today, that's great. Put it on one of those yellow cards back there, and we're just going to tack them up on the wall so that we can read them together. A shared idea. And sharing ideas. We invite you to post a crown. Does that sound good? Already around the room, you know, under some, with some of these trees are opportunities to, to express Christmas this year in, in, in real hope. To let that overflow the hype. To let that empower the festivities. But it's interesting to me, you know, when we take on Christmas this way, sometimes I have a very human reaction to these kind of challenges. I think, oh, that's hard. And most things to me that are hard push my comfort zone a little bit. I have a tendency to push back from. But isn't it true that most of us, when we get those kind of places where where God can use what we're offering, that we're the ones that really get blessed. 
our, our team just returned from Belize. How many of you have ever been to Belize or Honduras or on missions with us in this church? If you, if you have, just raise your hands. Raise your hands if you've ever been to Belize or Honduras. They're all, they're all around us here this morning. And I, I would bet to a person, and, and many of you have had that experiences with other churches and so forth, would, would, t- would say too, that the person that's blessed most is not the person on the receiving end, but the person on the giving end. Her name was Miss Alice. And she wasn't the kind to often do these sort of things. In fact, she wasn't even sure how to respond to the thing that had caught her heart. But the, the Peters girls had gone missing since um, the mission Sunday school of the church had discontinued. Now, the, the, the Peters girls were precious gals. They were uh, like some of the little ones that bless my heart in this church. They were, they were the huggers, you know. Uh, the kids that were just so open and expressive with their love, they delighted the adults with their joy and, and with their Sunday hugs, especially the pastor of this particular church. And he had missed them too. And so when Miss Alice, the leader of the mission school, showed up in his office, he wasn't entirely surprised. They shared the same grief that they were no longer coming. Mission school was something that happened not during the regular church hours, and this was back 30 or 40 years ago, not during regular church hours. Mission Sunday school happened Sundays at 2 o'clock. And so people would go home, they'd get out of their Sunday's best, and they'd, they'd come back and what was just comfortable. And kids from all over the community, kids that didn't go to church, would often be invited in for Mission Sunday School. But once the season for Mission Sunday School had stopped, the relationships that many thought that they had built somehow didn't translate into those kids showing up the next Sunday during regular church hours. And that was the case for the Peters. Miss Alice says, Pastor, I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know why the girls aren't coming. There must be something we can do. And, you know, his idea may not have been the most brilliant until God got a hold of it. But he said, hey, here, here's, some, here's some upper rooms. You know what those are? Those little devotional guides that are paper and they... Any Methodist done an upper room before? You know, you got the little, little devotion. It's made out of newsprint usually. And uh, they're not very expensive, and, and, but they're easily distributed. And he said, well, just take some of those out there. That can be your excuse for showing up. And then figure out what's going on, why the girls aren't coming. And she thought, well, at least I've got an excuse to knock on the door. She took the upper rooms out there and knocked on the door. And Mr. Peters was a truck driver. He wasn't there. And the girls, the little girls opened the door to her and she stepped inside and saw a situation of obvious poverty. And it was getting colder outside. It was a little too chilly for little girls to still be running around in their bare feet. But she asked, why didn't they have their shoes? They didn't have any shoes. And something came to Alice. A couple hours later, she was back at the pastor's study. And she said, you got any more of those upper rooms? And he said, sure, why do you ask? And she said, oh, pastor, you, you won't believe it. I, I, I went to uh, the house, and I, I think I learned why the kids weren't coming anymore. And she said, you, you'll have to forgive me. I, I, I used the upper rooms. He says, well, that's what I 
told you to do, to, to take notes. She said, you don't understand. I, I spread the upper rooms out on the floor, and I had the little girls step on the pages, and I traced their feet on the pages of the upper room. And I, I've just little shoes I thought would work for each of them, and I, I made sure that they were the right size because I had the tracings of their feet, and I went back out there, and I, I walked in that house, and I pulled those shoes out of the boxes, and those little girls danced so much I could hardly get them on their feet. And then one of them, after all the shoes were on and they were all delighted, she came and just hugged my neck and said, Oh, Miss Alice, my shoes are beautiful. Can I go to Sunday school this Sunday? And she said, Pastor, I never even talked about church. So give me some more of those upper rooms. I want to go do some of that instead of going home and do something boring like making dinner. What had happened? She had clothed someone in love. She had wrapped someone in real hope. Do you want to be clothed in that kind of love? Do you want to be able to be empowered to wrap others in that kind of hope? Both of those agendas start at the same place. A manger. With a Savior that was born for you. If you had received this Christ, or having received this Christ, would you live by His example this Christmas? Join us in a king-size Christmas. Make this your church home. Live it out with one another in this place. Those two invitations are for you this morning. Receiving Christ, joining this body as we stand and sing this Christmas. Would you stand with us?